Scripture readings are, are, as Pastor said, uh, from assorted Proverbs about work. They are printed on the back of your sermon, if you, or your bulletin, if you'd like to read along. Proverbs about working with integrity. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. If a ruler listens to falsehood, all his officials will be wicked. The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. Whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light upon it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. The king gives stability to the land by justice, but a man who takes bribes overthrows it, and a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. This is God's word. There are two great tests for which Proverbs provides wisdom for how to respond when our time and our money are threatened. These are tests that often show up when we work, certainly in our job, but also at home in our relationships. When people, institutions, circumstances threaten to rob from us either our time, which is so precious to us, or our finances. In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis talks about how you can know if you have rats in your basement. There's a way to know if you have rats in your basement. I guess here in Cayman it would be Iguanas in your attic. <laughs> or actually, better yet, how about agoutis in your shed, maybe? If you have an agouti in your shed. Anyone know what an agouti is? Oh, come on. Come on. I know some of you are from here, and you know agoutis. But you will not acknowledge that they're rodents, right? They're caiman bunnies. Many of us know them. But we're going to go with, we'll go with rats in the cellar, rats in the basement. And he says, if you want to know if you have rats in the basement, here's what you don't do. You don't stomp towards the basement door, right? Kind of clear your throat <clears throat> and say, ready or not, here I come. And it pounce through the door, right? If that happens, the rats will already be gone. What you do instead is you walk gingerly towards the door, right? You sort of furtively switch the light on and you pounce. And that way, the rats will be revealed. You have to ambush them. And that's what the tests of time and money do. They ambush us. Right? They don't necessarily give us warning. They ambush us. Usually we have just enough margin with both our time and money to at least kind of get by, but there are times when out of nowhere, people, circumstances, institutions, government, entities, whoever it might be, ambush us to, to, to rob us, to take from us what we feel like we deserve, specifically our time, our money. And these moments not only ambush us, but reveal to us what's really lying beneath the surface. Either rats are down there, or something that the book of Proverbs calls integrity. Integrity requires that the basement, what's kind of going on in the shadows and underneath the surface, be consistent with the rest of the house. What's going on up here? What's going on with our, our actions? It's not crumbling. It's not leaky down there. A guest in our home isn't going to be shocked by what they find down there. It's consistent 
with the rest of who we are. And that's what integrity is. It's not, it's not perfection. It's consistency. It's not perfection. You're going to mess up. You're going to have weaknesses, and you're going to act on those weaknesses in a way that injures other people sometimes or injures yourself. So it's not perfection, but it's consistency. Having a unified identity, not having a part of your life that you keep in the shadows, that you hide in the basement for no one else to see. An example of this would be something like giving to a church or charity, but taking from government by not maybe reporting income or, or asking someone who's importing your goods to, on the invoice, lower the cost of goods but raise the cost of shipping so you have to pay less duty. And sort of twisting the system that way and cheating the system in that way. Because what are we doing? We're being inconsistent. We're saying a church or a charity, people in need, that's worth my money. But these other people, government, is not. As a parent, you spend time setting expectations for your kids in terms of you know, homework and good grades, chores and behavior, but then you neglect spending the time to train your kids in those areas. In other words, you're saying time is important to invest, but not if it requires me actually helping my child. Because why? Why do we do that? Because our time is threatened. We don't want to get up from what we're doing. We don't want to stop what we're doing. We feel it's more important to help our child in that situation. Inconsistency. Keeping your word to make an important business meeting. We'll do that. But letting it linger long too late after you tell your child just a few more minutes before you go outside to play with them. Or just procrastinating on that phone call you told your spouse that you would make. Integrity is, is treating your helper the way you would treat your boss. Integrity is treating your husband like you treat your dearest friend in your mommy's group, right? Because both are worth your time, and in some cases, your money. So that's what we're going to be doing here. So that's what we're doing right now this morning is we're, we're preparing ourselves. It's preparation, teaching from Proverbs so that God's wisdom will slowly be built into our lives now for tomorrow's test. For the moment tomorrow that ambushes us. Says, I, want to, I want to take time from you. I want to take money from you. And what's going to come out? What's going to come through your life? Will it be integrity? So we're going to talk this morning about why we should work with integrity. We're going to talk about how to work with integrity. And we're going to talk about who has integrity. So first, why work with integrity? Well, our, our, our portable wisdom, that's what we call proverb. It's portable wisdom. It's, it's memorizing wisdom that we can take elsewhere to live out our lives. This, this portable wisdom gives us a few reasons why we should live lives of integrity. Freedom, influence, love, and respect. Freedom, influence, love, and respect. First, freedom. Proverbs 10, verse 9. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his way crooked will be found out. So to walk securely means to go on one of those sort of carefree walks which was rare, by the way, in ancient Israel, with exception to the very wealthy or the very old, the average person walked everywhere that they went. And it wasn't always easy. It was often on unstable footpaths, uneven, often tightly constrained. And often on both sides, you would, you would find uh, ditches or, 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 or little, little runoff areas where, where flood water would run off into such that even a person with a limp or a minor infirmity 
if they even fell, they were always in danger of falling. And if they did fall, it was going to be hard for them to get back up. But the person who walks uprightly, as the old King Jimmy version mentions it, uprightly doesn't have to fear that. If a root comes, comes out, some, something kind of wants to trip them up, an animal runs in front of them, because all of their members of their body are working the way they should, they're agile enough. Galloway, they don't have to worry so much about the way that they walk. They're free to remain upright. Freedom is walking when all members of your life are doing what they should with integrity and uprightly. It's when you, you haven't over-promised to other people. Or you haven't promised the same deal to multiple parties. Or you haven't played two competitors against each other to get the desired result. Or you haven't tried to smooth over your missteps so another person won't be angry with you or judge you for what you've done. But instead, you're upfront about your life, your commitments, your dealings, and even, guys, your mistakes. When you're like that, you can be free from worry. You might be exposed, but not for being crooked. You might be left vulnerable, but not for being a crooked person. So one reason to live a life of integrity and to work with integrity is freedom. But another reason is influence. Chapter 29, verse 12. If a ruler listens to falsehood, all his officials will be wicked. What's interesting about this proverb is that if you start to, to chew on it a little bit, you realize it emphasizes how even giving an ear as a leader especially as a business leader, even giving an ear, considering only just a shady business proposal or entertaining one loophole in the system can affect your entire office, can affect your entire staff of people. They become employees who who now know that you might do wrong. And so they're going to become employees also who are going to be looking for ways to do wrong and propose that to you, maybe in fail-proof ways, maybe in ways that you won't get caught. By even just giving an ear to that. And what's hard about that, guys, is it's hard to reverse that. Once you're exposed to someone who is interested in cutting corners, someone who's interested in finding that loophole, who to, to get around the system, it's hard for your employees, for your colleagues, for your coworkers ever to look at you the same way. Isn't it? It's hard to mend that. The president of a large construction company was once asked why her, her company never considered working in a nation that was renowned for taking bribes and kickbacks as a way of life. Like the way you did business, you would give bribes, you would offer these kickbacks to the side, and that's how you secured business. That's how you got electricity hooked up. That's how you got people there on time. It's just what you did. She was asked, why didn't she work in that country? She responded, we can't afford to. If our employers, if our employees knew that some of us were acting dishonestly, they too would eventually become thieves. She, she knew this proverb that even if the, she, she acted like she was going to give kickbacks, bribes, and act that way, that her employees would become thieves as well. And there would be this irreversibly wicked influence on them. But there's a positive part of this too. You can leave a legacy of influence behind. Chapter 20, verse 7. Look at that in your bulletin there. The righteous who walks in integrity, blessed are his children after him. It's kind of the image of, a, of children following behind a father that they see walking in integrity, making consistently right decisions over and over again. You may remember my saying earlier that integrity isn't so much perfection, but just consistency. 
And I definitely have a story I can relay along that front. Um, now, I'm hopeful that my two sons see all the little things that their, their dad does right and to, to honor God. But a couple Fridays ago, I really, I really goofed up. I was picking up our oldest from school and six of his friends as well to, to practice street hockey together. It was my day off, and here, here we are, I'm getting these kids together. We had a few bulky recycled supplies in the back of my car that were intended for, for Katie, for her art class, someone had given us. And I, I'd asked her during the week to, to please grab those supplies and put them in her car and take them to, to work. But she, she's busy, and I totally understand. This does not justify what I'm going to tell you at all. When I got to school, uh, those supplies were still in the back. Where, where it's one of these SUVs where you, have to, you can lift up the last seat in the back to make more room. And there was no room for these supplies. There was lots of supplies. There was no room for them and for these children. And so I, I kind of panicked a little bit, uh, know, knowing that my time was threatened, like we're talking about here. And I still had to get, pick up another kid who went to a different school. I panicked. I got the kids quickly. I sub- set the supplies outside my car and left them there. I, I littered, and what's ironic is I littered with already sorted recycled goods, right? It was like, like sitting there, paper, plastic, cans, that sort of thing, and like someone just left them there, and it was me. And uh, I know for some of you, you're so shocked. You, you, some of you who love Mother Earth would rather I'd embezzled money than, than, than hurt this planet of ours, I understand. And, and man, I felt so guilty, I felt so guilty about it. I, after the, the kids we had over went home, that day, I, I apologized, took Mason aside. I said, Mason, I got to tell you something I did. I did the wrong thing. I'm glad I did. He actually noticed. He noticed next to my car the things I'd left behind. And then I, I set out then to go back to the school and rectify my deed, and only to be told by Katie that she had already driven to school and rectified it for me, um, leaving me hashtag humbled at that point um, and a little bit embarrassed. Now, I share this with you guys because you know, I, had, I had a couple stories to roll out of examples of, of, of people who, who stood up with perfect integrity when, when someone's money and time were threatened. But while embarrassing, I really just felt led to share this story because I know there's some of you who haven't lived a life that is in line with your convictions. There have been times where you have, you've done something that goes against what you really and truly believe in your hardest in your deepest of hearts. And you fear ever mentioning it. You fear telling someone, you know what, I messed up. But I, I think integrity is built not only in doing the right thing, but also responding rightly when you've done the wrong thing. In fact, in many ways, that will really determine the trajectory of our life and character. How do we respond when we've done the wrong thing? Well, we respond righteously. And, and righteous responses to wrongdoing will equally influence those after us be it the employees who replace us or the children who outlive us. So another reason to walk in integrity and the way that you work is certainly the influence you're going to have over others. But, but there's another reason, a coupled reason here. That's love and respect. Proverbs 24, 26. Whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. Whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. And on the surface, this might sound like the only motivation needed for all the single males in here to live lives of integrity. Right? Uh, I live an honest life. I get a kiss on the lips. Nice, right? That's not necessarily what Proverbs means here, and I will tell you that it's definitely not what Proverbs means here. This phrase, uh, Fatim Yashak, 
kisses the lips, is used elsewhere as an act of either homage and respect towards a god, either homage and respect towards God, or as an act of affection. For example, when, when two brothers are reuniting, an act of homage and, and affection. So if, if you want to show love towards neighbor, if you want to pay homage towards God, you live rightly. You tell the truth in what you do. You don't try to skirt the truth, concealing it. So that's how, that's why we should live with integrity. Now, how do we carry this out in our lives? How do we work with integrity? And you know what, actually? I'm just going to do something I don't normally do, which is I'm going to bypass this entire part of the sermon. I just, I really felt led to do this. If you can go to the next slide. I, I just, I could give you some strategies. I was going to talk a little bit about freeing yourself from the love of money, the importance of rest to your work. But I really feel led to get to the heart of living a life of integrity getting to the heart of, of the transformation that's needed and the trust that's needed to live a life of integrity. So we're going we're gonna, to, if that's okay with you guys, skip this part of the sermon. Some of you are like, yes, please, anything to make this shorter. But I really want to talk, though, I really want to get to who works with integrity, a person who works with integrity. See, guys, because integrity is one of those things that's built slowly. It's lost quickly. Right? So, so, so Proverbs has talked about walking in integrity. And integrity is like that. You, you build it slowly. And like in my own example, it could have been lost very quickly if I didn't rectify things. But here's the good news. It can be transformed instantaneously. Instantaneously. Some specific cases have been reported about this. In his book, The Proverbs Driven Life, Anthony Salvaggio points to one of these cases of an instantaneous transformation of one's character. Arguably the most inconsistent person in the Bible was also one of its most important, one of the most important to its, its history, God's people. That is Jacob, the master of shrewd dealings, the shrewd manipulator of events. Let me give you a few examples of, of Jacob's life. Jacob sets up his vulnerable elder brother to exchange his birthright for a bowl of stew. His brother gives up a birthright, and gets in exchange a bowl of stew. What Jacob did is he, he was a guy who studied his brother's temperament, which was admittedly very impulsive. And he chooses the moment when his brother is most vulnerable. He's weak, he's famished, he's been working all day in the fields. And he, when his brother comes in, he pounces on his brother with this tempting offer, this glorious bowl of stew, something that smells really good. And what's so interesting is archaeological evidence suggests that this practice wasn't so uncommon in the ancient Near East. There's one documented case where a man just sold his birthright for a sheep. Is it possible then that Jacob was so, so influenced by the world around him that he gave in to this manipulative practice to wait for a vulnerable moment? Get the birthright for my brother. And it doesn't stop there. There's a second instance of shady dealing. Jacob seeks to obtain the only thing then left to his brother. And that is his father's final blessing. He's already given up the birthright Esau has to Jacob. Now, his father's final blessing. With encouragement and advice from his mom, Jacob basically practices an ancient form of identity theft. He deceives his own vulnerable and blind on his deathbed father to receive the fatherly blessing that Isaac intended for Esau. He gets it from him. 
Now, before we get any further, Jacob, I want to explain to you guys, Jacob was not rotten to the bone. He was a remarkably hard worker. He was capable of very tender love. It's just that his character was radically inconsistent, was divided. And as Proverbs 10.9 tells us that he who makes his way crooked will be found out. And so he is found out once again. Let me give you a third shady dealing. In a moment when he is pressed by both time and a lack of compensation, Jacob's inconsistency oozes out of him. He's responding to an unjust business act towards him. And have you ever had that feeling that someone's been unjust towards you? Someone has slighted you? Someone has done something to maybe help you lose money, cause you to lose money or lose time? And Jacob experiences this in a business setting. And what is his response? Jacob actually raises the bar of cheating. He raises the bar through deceptive practice towards his father-in-law and de facto employer Laban. And you read about this in Genesis 30, verses 31 through 43. I won't give you all the details, but basically he, he rigs the livestock market so it would be certain, he would be certain to gain and Laban would be certain to lose. He rigs it. And so it seems like Jacob's life is in a trajectory where it's going to go into total ruin. He's going to live alone, isolated. No one's going to be around, want to be around a man who's been exposed to be a cheat, to be exposed to be inconsistent, that no one can really rely and trust him. Except that's not the end of Jacob's story. We see Jacob years later as a different man. As an older man, he sends 11 of his 12 remaining sons that he knows about, minus Joseph, to buy grain from Egypt during a time when there was a famine in the land of Canaan. And on their way back with grain, his disguised and long-lost son Joseph, who's now second in command of Egypt, instructs his servants to secretly put silver in the sacks of his brothers who are returning home. So what he does is, right before they're about to leave, he's already bought, the brothers have already bought from Joseph, they don't know it's Joseph, they bought grain from him. The servants of Joseph secretly open, open the sacks, open the zippers, right? And they put silver, the silver that they used to buy that grain back in their sacks. And so they return home unknowingly with this money, with this silver. And when they get home, and Jacob learns they brought back not only the grain, but also the silver, the money, you'd expect the wily businessmen to be absolutely thrilled, right? Man, these, these are my sons, right? A chip off the old block. You did it. You got not only the grain, You brought me all my money back. Man, you guys, how did you do it? That's what I want to know. This is what we'd expect to be in line with Jacob's character, but something very different happens. Jacob responds very differently. Genesis 43, 12. Instead, he looks at his sons and he says, take double the amount of silver with you, for you must return the silver that was put back into the mouths of your sacks, to the front of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Now, now look at this. From Jacob's perspective, this is the equivalent of sort of looking at your receipt and recognizing you weren't charged for any of your groceries. Right? And it's that moment of like, oh my gosh, I've hit, the, I've hit the daily lottery. Except multiply that for a year. This is going to be their food for a long, long time. How would you respond in that situation? How would you act? And not only, you would think Jacob would jump for joy. Right? This is the moment. Instead, he responds not only with honesty, but excessive generosity. Take double the amount back. 
It was prob- he assumes the best in people. It was probably just a mistake. What happened? What, what has caused Jacob to go from an opportunistic thief to a man who's suddenly full of integrity and generosity, but simply in between his scheming towards Laban and honest dealings with a rich foreign country, Jacob is transformed. And in Genesis 32, Jacob's actually running from Laban. Laban's found out what's happened. Caught in his schemes, his inconsistent life exposed, God gets Jacob alone, and it's this picture of how many of us feel when we're alone living a double life. We're living this one life externally, but behind the scenes we're scheming in one area of life. We're, we're being deceptive, we're cutting corners, we're finding loopholes. In reality, it's a very lonely place, and God gets Jacob alone. And there, the living God wrestles with him all night long. His stubborn, relentless, unapologetic nature is confronted by the stubborn, relentless, unapologetic love of God. There in the desert, in the wilderness. And God changes his very name from Jacob, which means holder of the heel, to Israel, which means one who prevails with God. To have one's guys name changed is not only to sort of change their identity, but have their entire destiny changed. So Jacob goes from one who's, who's been pulling on the heels of others to pull himself up in the world to one who has success solely because God has touched and transformed him. Jacob just hasn't learned from his mistakes. He hasn't just gotten better friends. He hasn't just slowly improved in becoming a better person. He's totally transformed. Now in Jacob's story, there, there's immensely practical application for, for two types of people who I think here this morning. First, the person who's just, you're entangled in an inconsistent lifestyle the person you want to be, the the person you say you believe you want to be, you're not. And you know it. And and you're caught in that. But also Jacob's story gives us practical application for the Christian tempted towards an inconsistent lifestyle. If, If like Jacob, you find yourself alone, entangled with business practice and, and dealings with vulnerable persons who aren't consistent, They're not consistent with the rest of your life. Not consistent with what you say you believe in. They'll look different than the person you say you want to be. It'll be tempting to tell yourself to just become a better person. To just find better friends. Maybe even get a different job. And throw in a little bit of church and a little bit of God in there along the way. What's needed though is total transformation of who you are, of your identity. Jesus says that every man and every woman was born once. They have a certain identity. They have a certain life. And they live out a certain brand of inconsistency, whatever that might look like for you. But what's needed for each person is to be born again. To start over. To have their very person changed. And that's what's possible about trusting your life to Jesus Christ. John 1 chapter, sorry, John chapter 1 verse 12 said this way, that, that to all who received him, all who received Jesus, to those who trusted in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So you go from a a slave to fear, a slave to the world which says, to get ahead you have to cut corners, you have to move this way, you have to manipulate, you have to scheme, to someone who just lives freely as a child of God, trusting him for every need in their life. As Jesus lived a perfectly integrated and consistent life, He wasn't just tempted to gain unrighteous wealth. He was tempted with the offer of all the kingdoms in the world at once. We read about in Luke chapter 4. 
and yet he resisted. He was tempted to not pay his taxes, which would have been easy for him to say, you know what, I'm the son of God, I don't have to. And yet he did anyway. He lived this perfectly integrated life, yet on the cross he was counted among the vilest of criminals. He was accused of being a fraud as one from whom men hide their faces. Even his father turned the other way and didn't look at him. What was happening in that moment? What was happening there on the cross? Jesus was becoming disintegrated, literally disintegrated. Every good and noble quality and deed of Jesus at that moment was stripped from him and transferred instead to Jesus on that dark Friday. It wasn't just a lack of integrity. It was a lack of integrity of every person who ever lived or ever will live. The Apostle Paul puts it this way, 2 Corinthians 5.21, that God made him who had no sin. He was a perfectly integrity man. like He had full integrity in his life. God had made him who had no sin on the cross to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, that through knowing Jesus we might become right with God. On the cross, Jesus became disintegrated so that we might become integrated again into a whole person, the person we've always wanted to be, the person we'd like to be, but we can't get there on our own. Remember Jacob. He tried on his own to work harder. You can read that in his account. He tried on his own to be kind to those in his family. But his best efforts couldn't mask the disintegration that came oozing out of him when the pressure was on, when time was required for him, when money was pressured to be taken from him. He needed to meet the living God and be forever transformed. That's the opportunity, guys, who you and I have through Jesus Christ to be transformed, to wrestle with God and to be touched forever by him. That's a great opportunity for you this morning. And if you recognize that in yourself, that you're caught in a tangled web, Jesus can instantaneously change you from the inside out. For those of us who've already trusted our life to Jesus, but, but you can't face the constant pressure of living an inconsistent lifestyle, Jacob also speaks to us. See, guys, earlier God had promised to give Jacob the very things for which he spent his whole life trying to scheme and steal. God promised Jacob that he would prosper and that his older brother Esau would eventually serve him. At Jacob's birth, God declares, Genesis 25-23, that the older shall serve the younger. I was referring to Jacob. Jacob would be served by his brother. See, that means, that means, do you see that? That Jacob was destined to receive both the birthright and the blessing. But what God promised to freely give him, Jacob tried to attain through other means, right? Cutting corners, shady dealings, identity theft. If he had just trusted in his God, he would have received those things without having to cut corners to get them. God wants me to be happy. Think of all that I can do for God and for other people if I just had more. These good ends, maybe even noble ends, don't justify the means we often use to get them. So while God promises Jacob a blessing, a birthright, he promises to his children far greater promises. Here's a few. He makes all things work together for good. Romans 8.28 So though it may be tempting to work out your own good at your workplace, at home, in your relationships with others. You can trust that God will always work those things out for you. 
Here's another promise. He will supply all of our needs. Philippians 4.19. Who may be tempting to generate an extra supply line in your life to, to save up a little extra, get a little extra in this way or this way because you know, God, you know that I need it. You can trust that he will supply those things for you if you live a life of integrity. Here's another promise that the best is yet to come. You can read about that at the end of Revelation. Though it may be tempting to create your own comfort, your own heaven on earth, the best is always yet to come as a child of God. These promises, as Amber was mentioning earlier, doesn't mean we just sit and wait and don't do anything. But it means we can stand firm with integrity. It means that we can keep walking and build integrity with our life and the way that we live and our everyday actions step by step as we walk with God and we say no to the way the world does things. We can trust that he is faithful and true to his promises. So the one who works with integrity, first of all, is a transformed person. Second of all, is a trusting person. And thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, through whom transformation and trust is possible. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, just lift up people this morning uh, who are afraid to admit it, and it's understandable, but they feel caught. They know that maybe they've cut corners, they've talked about meetings they haven't had, or punched in a time clock later than they should have, or they've made excuses that are really white lies for why they were late for something important. And Father, this is, there's some here this morning where that's just become a way of life. That in some areas of their life, they're kind and just and fair in their dealings. And in others, they cheat. Don't bear the whole truth. We go behind maybe others' backs. And we, we say that the end justifies the means, but it never does. Never does. Why? Because you provide the means. You always provide the means. For those who trust in you, for those whose lives are transformed, we can trust that you will always provide for us. And that gives us the strength, that gives us the power, gives us the assurance that we can walk in integrity, even if it means at a loss to us, even if it means staying after hours to do the work, even if it means befriending someone who others are gossiping about, even if it means putting in the extra time or money into a project. It's going to cost something to us. We can trust that you are working everything for our good, that you will provide everything that we need, and the best is still yet to come. So help us, Lord, live lives that reflect you, that give you glory, that give you honor. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.